Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So joining me today is none other than James Altucher. James, welcome to Stansbury Radio. Aaron, thanks for having me on. I always enjoy coming on the show. Well, we appreciate having you on. You always get some great feedback. So today our guest is Glenn Jacobs. Many of our listeners may not recognize the name, but anyone that is familiar with professional wrestling surely will. He's a former WWE champion and went by the name of Kane. I think he's like seven foot one or seven foot two and built like a tank. Uh, James, this is your guest. Why yes. did you invite a former WWE superstar to be interviewed on a financial show, Stansbury Radio? Well, you know, I didn't know initially that Glenn was, you know, a professional wrestler. Not only a professional wrestler, he's won like every world championship in wrestling out there. And uh, like you said, the guy's over seven feet tall. He's, he's, there's, well, I'll, I'll get to the story in a second, but a friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours, introduced us via email and said, you guys should talk about, you know, politics and economics. And we started talking, we got on the phone, we started talking, very smart guy. He knows a lot about economics and his politics uh, lean towards libertarian, but he also real, you know, has a more mainstream side. And then I Google him afterwards, Glenn Jacobs, and I see all these pictures and I'm like, this couldn't be right. And all these pictures are, are this huge, huge guy with like a mask and blood all over him. And I realize this is this guy, Kane, who's, you know, this professional wrestler, but we've kept in touch. And, and obviously I've, I've enjoyed being in contact with him. And I think he's going to have a lot of interesting things to say about the economy and, you know, politics and what's going on in this country and his own take on it. Yeah, I totally agree. So um, for listeners that missed uh, two episodes ago when you co-hosted with me, you talked about why you ch- you have chosen not to run for your congressional district. So I believe the call that was made was kind of, hey, uh, can you talk to Glenn about the reasons why you chose not to run? And uh, that's kind of how it prompted this interview with each other. And then you guys have become kind of friends. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, uh, just again, we had mutual friends in in politics and um, he wanted to hear more about my experiences of why I chose not to run for Congress. And uh, so, you know, among my reasons was I felt like you can't really the system is so corrupt and so uh, in place in Washington, D.C., that there's no way to get inside the machine in order to change it. The only way to change what's happening is to do, Aaron, what you and I are doing right here, which is basically to talk with freedom to listeners who appreciate what we're saying and they trust that we're being honest. And through that honesty, we can change the system. But I don't think there's any way to be honest and be in the system at the same time. Yeah, I do look forward to hearing his thoughts, and he'll be coming up shortly. But before we do that, we like to jump into some headlines and commentary. So James Porter and I took a 
train up last uh, Tuesday to visit you and your lovely wife, Claudia. Met you guys in person. We met at Spin, which is a uh, kind of like a ping pong bar, but they have like legit Stiga tables with yeah. great paddles, and it's super professional. And um, you and your wife challenged me to ping pong as well as Porter, uh, which was a which was a big mistake, Aaron. I didn't realize what a what a pro you were. I thought. Uh I thought I was going to have a chance there. Well, my goal was hoping that you thought you had a chance and for me to be slightly better. And that's all I was, was slightly better. I found a weakness. It's your forehand. I exploited it. I showed no mercy. Showed no mercy to your wife. I slammed them. One of them hit her right in the forehead, and I looked over like, uh-oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But uh, the competitive nature gets the best of me sometimes. But it- well, well, Aaron, we found your weakness, too, which is if we lob it up to you, yes. then you're going to try to slam every yes. single time, and you're only going to be 50-50 on the slams. And yes. you know what? That's true in life, too. Like, ping pong reflects life. So you, I'm curious if that actually happens to you in life. When someone gives you an easy shot, do you try too much to take advantage of it and sometimes miss? You know, that, that's an excellent question, excellent observation. Um, I will tell you this. As I've grown older, that is absolutely the case. But when I was younger, I will tell you I was probably far more hesitant and people-pleasing where I didn't want to screw anything up. But my attitude these days is, in life, if you want something, you go out and you take it even if it means swinging and missing sometimes. But as you saw, you know, whenever you guys would get up on points or, you know, we'd be even, you beat me a game pretty handedly, too. Um, you know, I readjusted. I got back into a little bit of a defensive posture, kind of dialed it down, and then took my shots more from there. But uh, that's a great observation. And, and again, I think this is related to games in general. Like, learning a game and mastering a game, whether it's, you know, ping pong or tennis or chess or golf, this is real life. This is not like the fake A plus that they give you in schools, you know, where the more A's they give, the more money they get from the government. You know, tennis or ping pong or any game, golf, any sport, that's you're going to win or lose on the battlefield. No one's going to give you an A plus for good performance. You have to take your win and then you have to adjust if you're not winning if you start losing you have to learn how to lose and you have to learn how to fail and you know i always say you can't grow a garden if it doesn't rain so the garden blooms in the rain and that's what the same thing occurs in a game you have to be able to lose and understand what your losses mean analyze them adjust and that's how you improve that's the only way to improve yeah, and, and you know that goes back to your book, Choose Yourself, and I know a lot of our listeners have purchased your book, and we've received an immense amount of feedback, as well as you have. You, uh, How high did you get on Amazon's uh, bestsellers? How high and what categories? Well, for all of nonfiction, I was number one for a few days, so so that was good. And then for all of Amazon books overall, I reached as low as uh, number 13, which was great. Uh, I've been very pleased, and I was on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. The book has really resonated with people like the common and this surprised me. I've never this is my 11th book, but I've never had this kind of response. The common response I get is I like this book so much. I'm buying this for three of my friends and two of my family members. So I've never actually had that experience of someone telling me they they were buying my book for somebody else, which has been I've been really grateful for. I'm not trying to say this to kind of promote the book. The book's doing fine. But I've been really grateful people have been have got the message that I wanted to send out, and they want their friends to also receive that message. 
Well, except for the one guy who is a lifetime subscriber of Stansberry who wrote in and said he loved the book, hated your foul language. And, and by the way, it wasn't offensive to me at all because you weren't using it in a way that was negative. You were expressing emotion in my eyes and said that he would have loved to have given this to his daughters. However, the language prevented him from doing that as if this guy has them wrapped in bubble wrap with a shield over their head that if any bad language comes their way or anything they see is negative, it would immediately bounce off, which is absolutely ludicrous. What do you say to the people that criticize you for your use of, uh, you know, some F words and, and some foul language in there? Cause I'm sure if, if this person, if you've received this email, thousand people have thought of sending you this email so what what do you say to that sure and I've, I've gotten quite a few emails like that and you know i tell people look i'm just being honest with myself it's not like i walk around all day saying like curse words or anything like that but i'm just being honest with how i talk my kids hear it all the time they're good kids uh and and like you said eventually this is how human beings talk we, we don't all live in a glass house so you know, but, there, but a lot of people have the Seinfeld, the Jerry Seinfeld philosophy, where he never uses a curse word in his comedy routine because he always tried to, tries to keep it what he calls family-friendly. But then you have guys like Chris Rock and Louis C.K. who talk like how normal people talk. Because let me tell you something. If you're going to really be, quote-unquote, family-friendly, families use curse words. There's just no way to avoid it. And again, it's not like every page I'm like using it just to shock people. I just write how I talk, and that's how... That's how the best writers, I think, approach, you know, writing is if I'm trying to do something which is going to connect with the reader, then I need to speak at a deeper level to that reader, which means I need to really be honest with how I talk and not talk in some kind of, you know, pseudo literary voice, which is always BS, but really talk to the heart of the other person. And you know what? In the heart of the other person is real language with real words. And that's what this is. Yeah, I uh, I agree. And poor Luck Porter gets a ton of heat for this because he'll drop an F-bomb here and there. And, um, you know, look, he, he it's the same thing with him. He's like, look, this is just uh, kind of real life. So I don't. And by the way, when we spent, uh, you know, a half day together, I don't believe you dropped one curse word, but I'm sure I dropped several in uh, <laughs> ping pong. So take that, yeah, people. You know what? I, I guess when I'm when I'm writing also, I'm usually writing about things that I'm either really angry about or really happy about. And. Well, and I'm not always on my best behavior when it's just me and my computer. So, so you know, those things tend to kind of inspire the language in me, you know, one way or the other. No, I hear you. Like I said, I, th I believe it's a passion coming through, and I think uh, passion is a good thing because, to me, uh, passion means that you're genuine. So, you know, I'd rather see somebody's real side than somebody holding back because they're afraid of what others are going to think of them. Yeah, and, and you know, like right now, I'm just seeing stuff coming off the Twitter feed. So literally 41 seconds ago, someone wrote, uh, you know, what an incredible book. It literally knocked me out of my stupor and has reinvigorated my drive to be sovereign. Meaning, you know, so th again, this is someone who got through the language, didn't bother him, but it kind of knocked him, knocked him out. So it knocked him out of his stupor, and now he's ready to be an individual again instead of being owned by whoever tries to own us. And every day we're trying to be owned by somebody, whether it's our bosses, whether it's the government, whether it's our banks, whether it's our friends, our family. These are all the people who try to own us and try to keep us enslaved. And it's a real challenge to choose yourself. And part of that is, you know, choose your language. Like, be comfortable with 
with the language that's around you, with the language that's in your heart, with the language that's common English. Yeah, own it. And, and you know, that's a good transition. It's almost like you knew what I was about to talk about. <laughs> so let's get to a little bit of what's wrong in America, and then I'd like to get your take on how you believe we might be able to fix it. So, James, as you're familiar, Porter has a video that's been circulating for a few years that has been viewed by over 25 million people. It's called The End of America. Essentially, what Porter's describing is a day when the U.S. dollar loses its world reserve currency status uh, because America is so in debt with their unfunded liabilities, with just their debt in general, with all the consumer debt, all the state debt, the municipal debt, you name it. A day of reckoning is coming, and uh, but fortunately, I guess for now, everybody else is slightly worse than we are, and they don't have the printing press. But when that day happens, America will be forever changed. It's not the end of America as we know it. It's just a, a different kind of America. So uh, the Wall Street Journal earlier this week discussed the 2016 disability insurance time bomb. It's something Stansbury Radio listeners are very familiar with because Porter and I have discussed this repeatedly for many, many months, and we've had many different discussions about it where we talk about uh, they have these like, they're not called judges, but it's kind of like uh, the head of who gets disability insurance in each state. And some states, I believe like West Virginia, they give 100% of the cases disability. Well, that day is nearing because um, their liabilities are growing way too much. So in 1970, there were 2.7 million people on disability. In June, there were 11 million Americans collecting benefits. The 75-year projected unfunded liabilities grow larger every year and now total $40 trillion when you take all of them together. I think just for the disability, it was like, 240 billion or something like that last year something astronomical so this fund is looking like it's going to topple in 2016 unless dramatic cuts are made which i don't see any of the politicians making any cuts at all uh so this is like a band-aid on cancer and i want to know from you a, if you had a megaphone straight to these people that were applying for disability, what would you say to them? And B, how do we fix this problem from uh, Washington down? Well, you know, it's interesting because there's really two Americas. There's kind of the political economic America, and then there's the frontier America. So what you're referring to and what Port is referring to is the political America where essentially we've, we've, we've made all of these promises, we've coddled the American public, and this is not a recent thing, it's basically ever since the Great Depression, since the 1930s, when we started setting up all these different programs to help all these people who were impoverished and so on, and that, and that may or may, I'm not gonna make any political statement whether that was good or bad, but it was what it was, it's, it's ancient history now. But now we've made all these promises that we can't possibly live up to. I mean, senior citizens, are literally going to starve within the next five to 10 years because social security does not go up as fast as food costs. We're just, and everything's inflating. Medical costs are inflating, education costs are inflating, uh, food costs, energy costs, all of this stuff is inflating. Meanwhile, income compared to inflation is going down on every level. So all these payments you're getting from the government are actually worth less and less every year. So systematically, the people that are in most need 
are going to be starved. They're not going to be able to get medical help. They're not going to be able to drive to work. They're not going to be able to buy their food. Uh, anything that they actually need, they're not going to be able to get. And meanwhile, the prices of you know things like technology are actually going down because frontier America is doing better than ever. We're actually innovative. We're creative. We're still doing you know having all this technological innovation, whether it's in biotech, computers, energy, and so on. But that doesn't help the people who have their hands out for disability, for food, for whatever, for medical. And I think what you have to do now is you have to take a step back and take responsibility for your own health. And that's not just physical health. Uh, look, I've been there before too. I've been totally bankrupt. I've lost my house. I've lost family members. I lost my family. I've, I've had to come back from literally lying on the floor, crying like a little baby, thinking about killing myself because I had to take control of my own health. And again, it's not just physical health. I had to do emotional health too, which is surround myself by people who are positive and who inspired me. It's mental health. I had to start coming up with ideas every day so I could take advantage of all the creative opportunities that are out there. And most importantly, spiritual health. I had to be grateful for every day that I was alive, for all the people around me who, were, who loved me and who were inspiring me. These things, if you take this step back, you're going to start to see magic happen in your life. You're not just going to have your hand out every day trying to figure out who you can get money from. You're going to create money and opportunities for yourself. That's what happens naturally. And I don't care how, how many stories you tell yourself about how bad things are. Things are only bad if your brain tells you things are bad. But if your body starts to react and you start to feel like things are good and you feel this way when you're grateful, then your life will change. And so that's essentially the theme of my choose yourself philosophy. Yeah, it certainly is. And um, I always keep up with your blog, jamesaltature.com, The Altature Confidential. Uh, I think it's a fantastic blog uh, because Thanks. because you write about um, you kind of bleed your truths and you show the ugly side. And that's what connects with people. And that's why people love to hear from James Altature. That's why people tune into Stansbury Radio because Porter shows his vulnerable side, let's just say, or he puts himself out there to be criticized. And, and I think it's good because you guys challenge people to think. Now, you wrote something the other day, and I think this might help some listeners out if they're struggling right now. Uh, you wrote How to Create Your Fantasy Life. And uh, it was actually about Matt Berry. And I thought it was an excellent article because Matt looked like he had what you and I would see as a perfect life. I'm also a writer or an aspiring writer. You know, it, it's a very difficult craft and it's something you have to work out all the time. But this guy, you know, he was writing for uh, Married with Children back in the day. He was writing for George Carlin. I mean, he was living the dream or, or at least a perceived dream of what you and I thought. But as you kind of unfolded the story, and I guess he has a, a book out that is uh, Fantasy Life uh, by Matthew Barry. He, uh, he, he basically said, look, man, uh, you know, I had these, uh, the actors on Married with Children trying to tell me how to write comedy, and he decided to choose himself. But he didn't just leave his job, and I think this is very important. I know that Mark Ford, who's a regular guest on our show as well, and it's one of Porter's mentors, and he goes by Mike, Michael Masterson is his pen name. He has a lot of best-selling books out there, and a lot of them are very similar to your style. Uh, you know, it, it comes down to... Um, 
what Mark says being a chicken entrepreneur. And what he means by that is don't completely abandon your current job or your current income stream to try to jump into something else or try to raise a bunch of capital of an idea that you don't think is going to work or you think is going to work, but you have no clue. And then Mark uses the ready, fire, aim approach, which is let's get the idea ready, fire it out there, see if it sells, because selling is the most important thing that you can do, and then go back and kind of tweak it. So It's so true, Aaron. And, you know, Matt Berry is a great story where you're right. He was living the dream. Anybody would kill to be like a a top echelon Hollywood screenwriter. Like he was writing movies. He was writing the best TV show. And he hated his life. Like he just hated it. But it doesn't mean he just quit his job and started doing something else. He bit by bit, years and years before he actually quit his life in Hollywood, he bit by bit created not only a new job for himself, but an entire career and industry. Nobody else was doing this. So Matt basically figured out his childhood passion was fantasy sports. Ever since he was 14 years old, he was, he was doing, um, playing in fantasy sports leagues. So he contacted a website that did, that talked about fantasy sports and he said, Hey, I'd love to write about you. I'm a professional writer here in Hollywood. I'd love to write about fantasy sports. I think they paid him like $25 an article or something like that. Something, you know, microscopically small compared to what he was making in Hollywood. But he started doing it and he started building a fan base and he started loving it. And he started bringing the skill set from Hollywood into fantasy sports. So he was funny. He was honest. He was telling his personal stories. He wasn't just talking about which quarterback is sick, which quarterback is good, which stats are important. He was talking about he was doing storytelling. And that's what you have to do. You have to tell a story. You have to tell a narrative. And that's how you reinvent yourself. And bit by bit, he built his audience. Then he built his own site. Then he sold the site to, I think it was ESPN. Now he's the senior director of fantasy sports for ESPN. There never was a senior director of fantasy sports for ESPN. He created that position, that industry. Now he's everywhere talking about fantasy sports, a career and an industry that never even existed before. And the guy defined it. He did that from a starting point where he had a safe job and he built it up on his own. Every day I get emails from people saying, I have a a trillion dollar idea, but I'm stuck in my job. Can you please give me money so I can implement my idea and we'll all get rich? It doesn't work that way. You need to get your hands dirty. You need to make a transition. You need to reinvent yourself and reinventing yourself goes right back to how you choose yourself and how you build up from nothing to something. Yeah, I agree. And look, you give some kind of action items of how people can choose themselves. And one of them I want to kind of focus on for a second before we get to our interview, which is uh, something that everybody hears and they kind of don't believe, but they see somebody that's living their dreams like Porter. Porter is obsessed with uh, macro macroeconomics and finance, and he's obsessed with trying to teach people to become better investors. This is a passion of his, and this is why he started a company with one person and uh, now has is uh, the biggest uh, financial independent research newsletter in the entire world by far. But this is something because people say, oh, well, what, what can I do? You know, where do I start? How do I start over? One of them is what are your childhood dreams? Believe it or not, they usually don't change when you grow older. This is a quote of what you wrote. So kind of delve into that a little bit because, you know, people always say, if you find something you love, pursue that because ultimately you'll become the expert at it because you'll love it so much. And that's where you'll create your own dreams, which is exactly what Matthew Barry did. 
But how can people kind of tap into that when they were younger? What was their passion? You know, everybody had interests when they were younger. And, and by younger, I, I might mean before you were 10 years old, before you were 20 years old, before you were 50 years old. So the key is sit down every day, write about, just make a list. What's everything you've ever been interested in? Maybe see how these things combine, how they work together. So for instance, when I was a kid, I was interested in the stock market and I was interested in science fiction. I was interested in writing. So how do these things combine together? Well, you can't really write that much science fiction about the stock market, but you can write about stocks and finance and so on and help people and everything. So it's how your interests combine to form new interests as an adult. So I feel very blessed to be living my dream. Like I was in a similar position to Matt where I had a job I really didn't like. I had uh, uh, businesses that I didn't like. And gradually, bit by bit, I got into a position where I'm right here on the radio talking to you, Aaron, doing everything I love to do. I write. I talk about stocks. I talk about helping people. I write about my personal stories. And I'm having the time of my life. I think it's very important to, to feed your inner soul because you don't really – we all know that saying, you know, life is too short. It really goes – quickly and you see this as people around you start to die as you age not to be depressing but you have to every day is important to, to live life as healthy as you possibly can be in, in all the angles i've described earlier yeah definitely all right uh well we'll, we'll pick up this uh, conversation after we interview glenn jacobs let's go to glenn now on the hotline we have our guest of the hour glenn jacobs you may not recognize the name, but if you know anything about professional wrestling, you'll know the name Kane. But not only is he one of the best in the world at that craft or was in his prior life, but he's also very knowledgeable in Austrian economics. He actually is a subscriber to Porter's newsletter, which I had no idea that you were until uh, an email just a little bit ago. And you're considering or maybe were considering running for the next Republican senator from Tennessee. We'll catch up on that in a minute. But I know James brought you on the show because he knows you pretty well. So welcome to Stansbury Radio, Glenn. Thank you very much. It's uh, great to be here. I appreciate it. Awesome. So James and Glenn, I'd like to know how you guys kind of met and what the circumstances were and that type of stuff. Yeah, uh, Glenn, Glenn and I had a mutual friend. Uh, who said, you guys definitely need to talk about politics and running for office. And I had an experience, which we talked about a few weeks ago, Aaron, where uh, I was considering running for Congress. I had hired a whole campaign team and was starting to do polling. But then, you know, for reasons we discussed on the show here, uh, I decided I couldn't change the machine from the inside. I felt the best way to have an honest voice and change the system and affect change was to be doing it from the outside, just like we're doing right here on this show. And so this mutual friend of ours said, you guys should talk. Uh, and I had no idea uh, when I spoke with Glenn initially that, you know, who he was in his prior professional life. And it was kind of funny when I Googled, and I'll tell this to you, Glenn, when I Googled you afterwards, I said, what is this? This who who is this seven foot person with uh, the mask on? Because you know we were talking and you were so knowledgeable about economics, politics, uh, education, all of the issues that were really important to me. And you know maybe we can start off with just you know what are the most important issues to you right now? Like what do you see going on in America, and why are you now kind of changing your public life to be more uh, expressive in this area? 
I, I think like you guys, I think probably the number one issue is the thing that most people don't consider, and that's monetary issues and the economy. Uh, a few years ago, I started getting into Austrian economics, probably in, um, in the sort of mid 2000s, like about 2005 or six, and the beautiful thing about Austrian economics is it has a completely different take uh, about the issue of money than any other school of economics does. It's completely free market in money, which makes it unique. And of course, what we're seeing with the Federal Reserve and the amount of money that they're they're printing every month in excess of 85 billion dollars, that's to me, it's terrifying, uh, you know, and, and and I just laugh every time that uh, anyone thinks that Ben Bernanke can quit, quit printing that amount of money because, unfortunately, our economy has become a heroin addict, but it's not a heroin addict that can withdraw. We've, we've, the heroin has actually sort of changed our body chemistry to the point to where they can't let up because if they do, the, uh, the, the effects would be so horrific on the economy as far as, uh, you know, literally an economic collapse that they're not going to do that. It would be politically uh, suicide for them to do that. So I, I think so, the most... Well, play, that out, play that out, Glenn. Like, what, hap- what happens if they can't... You know, obviously, if a heroin addict keeps taking heroin, he's going to die. So yeah. what, what happens here? How does this play out? I, I have no idea. I, I really have no idea. We're, we're in unique territory. Never before has the entire world been on a fiat currency standard. Uh, the thing that's propping the dollar up now, the reason that the dollar hasn't lost uh, more value, especially in relationship to gold uh, and silver, is the fact that everybody else is printing money, too. And, and what we're seeing is a competitive devaluation of the world's currencies. We've never seen this before. Uh, so I don't know. I have no idea how it ends. Uh, it's going to be quite interesting, to say the least. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, that's one of the things that, that, that I love about Porter is the fact that that's an issue that he talks about and is very concerned with. And I think that concern is very valid. And I, I think it is the most important thing that we face going forward. And why do you think, given all this money flooding the system, you would think people would feel a little bit of a, a wealth effect, but they just don't. Like, people feel really bad all the time. They feel trapped, stuck. They feel like we're still in a recession or a depression. Why do you think people feel that way, even though all of this massive money is being printed into the system? Well, the money's not really going out into the system. A lot of it is staying uh, at the Fed uh, with excess reserves. And um, it's also the fact that only certain people, I think, are benefiting. Uh, you know, the, the, the difference between how Austrians look at how money is injected into the economy and, say, a monetarist is Milton Friedman, of course, who is, who is a great monetarist economist, uh, used the analogy of a helicopter drop. Well, that's not what happens. The money doesn't blanket the economy evenly. It's injected into the economy at certain points. Those injection points are basically the commercial banks. That's why we've seen the stock market go up. Uh, but as you say, we haven't seen a wealth effect where everybody is is feeling better. I mean, unemployment is still very high. If you look at the broader measures of unemployment, the U6, not the U3, you know, it's what, at one point it was, almost, it was over 20%. Now I think it's in the 16 to 18% range. Uh, and that's why I think, and then also as far as investments, you know, um, people like you and I uh, realize uh, what's happening 
happening. And the fact that it's really sort of an illusion, uh, the, the stock market and um, you know various other assets, even the housing market. You know, the, the reason for the recovery in the housing market is because all this money has flowed to hedge funds who are buying houses because no one else can because they sell bargains. It's a good strategy on their part, but for the average person, not so great. Um, so I, I think, you know, it, it's just it, it's just the nature of this Keynesian economic paradigm. Uh, and I also think that uh, a lot of investors got burned in 2007, 2008, uh, and they're just frankly not feeling like getting back in there uh, because the system is, is so volatile. And I, I think the actually the, the financial system is even more unstable than it was in 2007, 2008. Glenn, you're so right. You know, I'm on the board of directors of a, a public company in the staffing space. We do about 700 million in revenues in, in temp staffing. And you're so right about the distinction between U1 and U3, which are these different metrics of, of measuring unemployment. People are getting hired, but they're getting basically temp staffed. So they're having, they technically have jobs, but they're jobs that they hate. They're jobs that they're not paid well enough for. They're barely getting benefits. And in general, it's like the entire society is taking a big step down in order to support all of this kind of, you know, money printing and, and this illusory, you know, economic progress that just isn't there. And so, so, so what made you decide to think about changing the system? Why did you, why did you make the leap from essentially sports and wrestling to, to economics and politics and so on? Well, uh, I'm still in sports and, and wrestling. Uh, you know, that's, that's my bread and butter, of course. Um, but it, I, I do worry very much about the future. I have children. Uh, we, had, we had a grandchild born four years ago. Well, uh, how old are you, Glenn? I'm, I'm 46. Um, 46 my, my wife is there. They're actually my stepkids. My wife's a little older than I am. Please don't tell her that I told you that, even though I just said it in public. Uh, but in any case, <laughs> but in any case, um, you know, so like everybody else that, that, that has uh, kids, you worry about the, the kind of world that they're going to live in and the kind of opportunities that they're going to have. I've had great opportunities. Uh, the reason that I'm in the position that I am in is because these opportunities were there and I was able to take advantage of them and uh, you know, build, a, build a pretty good life. Uh, what I worry about is that going forward, uh, those opportunities are going to be limited. Um, and it's quite interesting. We, we live in very interesting times. They're very contradictory. Uh, because on the one hand, uh, you know, James, I've, um, I'm a big fan of your work as well. Uh, in fact, I just finished your newest book, uh, Choose Yourself. And okay. I think you're exactly right. On the one hand, the market is still functioning. Uh, and, and because of all the... Um, uh, innovation and because of the internet and because of networking, you know, we have all these new opportunities that are popping up all over the place that we can take advantage of. But on the other hand, we have the state which keeps on getting in the way. Uh, you know, I'm reminded of um, Murray Rothbard's great uh, treatise, which was called Man, Economy, and State. And I think the reason that, that Rothbard titled it that was because that's what 
what we see. We have man and the economy, which is the natural state of things and the way that things always get better through the market. And then you have this alien entity, the state, which keeps on getting in the way and messing everything up. And and that's, that's sort of the way I see things is, is we have these great opportunities that are presenting themselves, but at the same time we have the government that keeps on getting in the way. And if the government would get out of the way, uh, the standard of living for everybody around the world would explode. But unfortunately, you sort of have to convince people of that, and that's hard to do. And, and Glenn, we've talked about this. I think it's almost impossible to change the government from within. I think it's only by doing what we're doing here, by trying to create a public voice that people can contribute to and participate in, a real community that you can affect change. I don't think it happens in Washington, D.C. I think it happens on, on Main Street and not K Street. I absolutely agree with you. One of the things that I think that we need to concentrate on, um, and you can't even say we because uh, I am a strong, firm believer in uh, decentralization. You know, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see some sort of headquarters giving us orders, marching orders, and go out and do this or that. I see people doing it on their own. Um, but one of the, the areas, and we've talked about this, is um, art and fiction and non-political, non, um, you know, non-news stuff. Uh, you know, if, if you look, there's just been very sort of limited number of, uh, of great libertarian-type uh, pieces of fiction. I mean, you know, of course, Atlas Shrugged, I think, is the second most read book in, in the English language. But nevertheless, there hasn't really been that much. Um, you know, so that would be great uh, if if we had more things like that. You know, the, the way that um, uh, the way that you sell liberty. I remember um, I'm a big fan of Harry Brown's as well. You know, Harry Brown would talk about marketing liberty, and you have to do it through emotional means. And unfortunately, we don't do that often. You know, uh, if you were to look at a, if, if if a libertarian organization were to talk about how the government causes poverty, they would rent a billboard and put statistics on it. When uh, a socialist organization wants to sell a new government program to address poverty, they put a picture of a starving child on it. And we need to become better at that. We need to become better at appealing to emotion and selling liberty in that way, as opposed to sort of the wonkish way that we've been doing it now for years and years and years. That's so true. And the, the irony being is that all the handouts that are not just going in the U.S., but going all around the world, are really going into the hands of corrupt officials like you could look at all government aid to rwanda and it totals something like you know i don't know 50 billion dollars and what actually helped uh this country in africa was simply starbucks making a massive order of coffee in rwanda so it's economics it's capitalism it's it's companies you know participating and buying things from each other and that's what uh prevents Genocide prevents starvation, improves the economy, improves relationships between other countries and other states, and all of these things. So it's actually the starving child is almost a symbol of how liberty can help, you know, feed feed the hungry. And it's just it's interesting how that message has been twisted. You're, you're exactly right. You know, the reason that America became an economic powerhouse was because although we had an imperfect free market, we still had the freest markets in the world. And that's the reason, because people were able to keep the fruits of their labor. Uh, there wasn't all these regulations that stopped people from getting into business or doing business in a way, uh, you know, that that was profitable. 
unfortunately, that's being lost. It's actually being demonized. And, uh, you know, we, we've all been around the world, you and I have, James, and then we've seen real poverty. And uh, the thing about America is, and poverty is sort of relative, and I'm, certainly I know that there are starving people here, and I don't want to denigrate that fact. Uh, but because of, because of our markets, because we have had the freest markets in the world, we've also been able to achieve the highest standard of living in the world. Uh, you know, if you go to some other places uh, where you have the great socialist experiments and controlled markets, you see just grinding, absolute, inescapable poverty. And that's one of the other great things about America as well, is the fact that we had great class mobility because of the market. If you could produce something that people wanted, you weren't relegated to poverty for your entire life. You could, you know, you could, only in America do we have these rags to riches stories. Uh, and it's just unfortunate that it's all being twisted around now and the golden goose is being, uh, is being demonized. Wait, wait a second, Glenn. You mean uh, poverty is not having uh, free cell phones, uh, housing, cable, uh, AC, and being grossly obese that's that's not poverty anymore i'm i'm confused cuz that's all the politicians talk about in the united states right if if you look at a place like uh I don't know. You know, I've been to India a few times, uh, and uh, you know, there are certainly areas in India where where they would uh, they would literally kill for those conveniences. And and that's the thing too. You know, you look at uh, you look at a lot of poor people in in the U.S. Uh, live better because of the market and because of all the great innovations that the market has provided. They live bet live better than the richest people did 150 years ago, and that's that's just a fact. Yeah, most certainly. Let me ask you something here. Sorry to jump in, James, but I want to ask a few questions. Because one of our themes, um, as you probably have read or maybe have heard uh, Porter talk about, is why athletes go broke. And I know, James, you write about this too. It's about accountability. Uh, But uh, I'd like to get your take on the professional world of wrestling. Are they as poor as NFL players and NBA players at managing their money? Because it doesn't seem to be that way, and I don't hear these type of stories. And if they are better at it, is it a culture thing where uh, McMahon or whoever has kind of like instilled this like business-first mentality and you need to take care of yourself? I just want to kind of get that take for any of right. the, the fans out there and how you've been so successful. Right. Um Certainly, uh, we do have our stories, uh, and I see them, they're, they're tragic. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the movie The Wrestler. Uh, I actually couldn't go watch it because I, I know some guys like that, uh, you know, who, who are on top of the world and unfortunately made some bad decisions and, um, you know, were broke and shouldn't have been. Um, so uh, that's sort of been in the past, though. And uh, our company has, you, you know, the, again, going back to the market and how well it works, our company has uh, realized, you know, that it, 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 it behooves the company not only at a personal level, but also, of course, in the eyes of uh in the eyes of the public, uh, you know, to make sure that the guys can take care of themselves and make sure that they're, that they're given good advice. Uh, you know, so, yeah, Vince's uh, and, and the WWE, um, you know, do things like trying to trying to provide the guys with uh, uh, one of, of course, the ways people get in trouble is through taxes, uh, you know, so they encourage 
encourage guys to seek out help with with accountants and financial advisors and and all that sort of thing. And I'd say as the NFL and NBA uh, and Major League Baseball uh, don't do the same. Uh, but and I think a lot of our guys are pretty smart, despite the fact that the stereotype that you might see out there. Um, and they they've seen you know like I said I've seen you know gone broke and it breaks my heart and I certainly don't want to end up like him uh so you know I've tried to do everything that I can not to yeah well I think um man I, I hope that the other organizations kind of get on board because uh, you know one thing that we preach at Stansbury Research is nobody is going to care about your money more than you will and you've worked hard to earn it so the least you can do is get the basics down for finance and uh, kind of have accountability for it, and that that's always our goal. But, of course, you know, we always hear the excuses and all that type of stuff, too. You know, you know, Aaron, you make a good point. Like, not only is nobody going to care about your money other than you, but if you go from, let's say, rich to poor or from celebrity to not celebrity, suddenly not only are people not going to care, they're actually going to hate you. <laughs> so you're going to lose your friends. You're going to lose your family. You're going to find out who was really there for you to begin with. And it's not that many people. So it's very important upon the individual to look at their options always, diversify those options, and take care of themselves. And that's both physically, mentally, financially, and so on. Yeah, absolutely. So, Glenn, uh, the the big question here before we uh, let you run, and and again, thanks for your time, is uh, after speaking with James, have you changed your mind to potentially run as a uh, GOP uh, candidate for the Senate position in Tennessee? I had actually made the decision before I talked to James. Okay. And I'm not going to do that. Um, because, as James said, I mean, it, the, uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, the, the system is what it is. Uh, you know, and it, I, I think causing change from the inside would be very hard to do. Uh, you know, certainly uh, I root for people to do that, and I may choose to do that at some uh, latter point, but at this point in my life, uh, it's just not something that, you know, I, I thought would be would be constructive for me to do. Yeah, no, and, and that absolutely yeah. make, that absolutely makes sense. It's just, it's it's a shame to hear that only because I believe you two would be phenomenal candidates, but I understand the system is so broken and so corrupt, and we talk about it all the time on Stansberry, and of course all of his uh, all of his readers, Porter's readers, want him to, to run for office, which he'll never, ever do, because it's almost like you have to be some narcissistic socio-psychopath in order to uh, run for office these days, because of all the hurdles and all the crazy media and, and all the people you have to suck up to. It is insane, but uh, it's great to have people like you that have a big audience. You have a lot of fans out there. And if you can reach your fans and educate them one at a time, same thing with James, same thing with Porter and this radio show, hopefully we can wake America up and then our, our voting habits will change. We'll be able to speak out against these people that live in the system and take from us. And uh, hopefully one day we can take America back. That's at least my goal. Yeah, and I think that's a very laudable goal. Uh, and I absolutely agree with you. And, uh, you know, the, the thing is that America is, is a great place. Uh, it still is. I do travel all over the world. And uh, when people ask me, where should I go, where should I run to, I'm like, I don't know. And I really don't because I've been everywhere, and I think America 
is the best chance, uh, is the best place, and I think it's the best chance for the world. You know, uh, we really are that that shining city on the hill. We should we should be more than that, actually, uh, and and you know we should be the symbol that the rest of the world looks up to when they think about liberty and freedom and free markets and free market capitalism. Frankly, and uh, it would be great if uh, you know if we could restore that and uh, take the tarnish off of the shining city. Well, we certainly appreciate it, Glenn. Any uh, any parting questions, James, or, or comments for Glenn before we let him run? You know, I'm just amazed, Glenn, that you've been able to kind of keep up with uh, all that you've been reading and all that you've been doing, you know, while at the same time pursuing your sports career. It's really another example of, you know, what individuals need to do, which is not just kind of get the job, get the safe job in the cubicle after having the safe college education, after having the safe suburban childhood. It's it's really diversifying what's inside of you to, to create the most change and have the most effect on society. And I think that's what all individuals have to do to really be self-fulfilled. And it, you know, libertarianism, individualism, strength all come from the inside. And, and Glenn, you're a great example of that. And I hope we get to uh, talk to you much more. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope I hope we do as well. And we will. We'll make it happen. Yeah, sounds yes. great, Glenn. Thank you so much. We appreciate right. it. And we will talk to you soon. Cool. Thank you, guys. All right, you got Thanks, it. Glenn. Take care. All right. Well, James, thanks for uh, getting Glenn on. That was uh, very refreshing. I love hearing uh, athletes that are extremely successful also have a, a good brain about them and care about uh, the country as a whole and, and individuals. Because as you know, James, when and you've written about this a lot, when you had a lot of money and you were spending a lot of money to kind of feed that false ego or whatever it was you thought that was doing you some kind of justice, it's harder to care about the average man uh, but when somebody has a lot of resources and does care about the average man and wants to uplift them or make them stronger, that's a real refreshing idea, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, what's what's really amazing is when people want to, when people have the resources that they have and they want to use that to help others, because that's ultimately how you create value, not only in the world around you, but the value comes back to yourself. If I'm creating value for, for two people, like introducing Aaron and Glenn, for instance, value comes back to me. We have a great show and the people who are listening to us get value out of it. It all ripples out in circles. And I think if we can do that every day, if we can focus on that every day, that's ultimately, believe it or not, how you create economic change. And so I'm, I'm hopeful we can keep doing this with, with the show, with, with newsletters and so on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's about having the abundance mentality and not a scarcity mentality. There's plenty to go around for everybody, and uh, that's exactly how you build it. Even in an economy that's scary, and we all know the horror stories, we've all been talking about them, There's for you and me and the listeners, there's opportunity. Focus on the opportunity and on abundance, and we'll get there. That's exactly right. And I know we still have uh, some hardback books available. Um, and hardback books for Choose Yourself are not available on Amazon.com or anywhere else. It's only via Stansbury Radio or Stansbury Research. We also are throwing in three of your other books as well as a special report you've written about. Uh, I forgot how many stocks were in there, but these stocks could achieve 1,000%, and they've been on fire. And I think the offer is like $24. It's a ridiculously cheap offer. Uh, I know you can go to Stansbury Radio, chooseyourself.com, Stansbury Radio, chooseyourself.com. Plus, we're going to try uh, pushing your book externally, too. 
because it's That'd doing be so well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a uh, mailbag time, and uh, I don't really have anything specific to go through because uh, we've received a ton of you know great feedback about your book, but we kind of already talked about that. Um, last week on the show, James, Porter and I tried to define what a hero really is, and Porter's kind of challenge was, does anybody that signs up for the military voluntarily, obviously, we don't have a draft, are they automatically a hero? Because, uh, you know, you see people in uniform everywhere and the media just loves to call them hero, whatever. Well, we kind of challenged that norm. And I said, to me, the definition of a true hero would be somebody that sacrifices himself personally in a line of battle or whatever it is in order to save his uh, fellow man or his brotherhood or whatever that is. We received a ton of feedback. We received some that were shockingly horrible and uh, or maybe not shockingly horrible. And many that were in support of that, that were ex-military, you know, 20 year plus guys, high ups. Uh, and we're going to get into that next week. Uh, but let me ask you, because you probably didn't hear the show. Should every serviceman and servicewoman, are they a hero or is it a different definition for you, James? And it may not be my definition. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm totally anti-war. I have two kids, and I would never, ever let them go to any sort of war. Uh, I would never let them be drafted. I would never let them accept pay to go to war. I don't judge anyone who did decide to take pay and go to war. It doesn't necessarily make them a hero or not a hero or an enemy or not an enemy. But I'm very much... Again, I, I don't think you can justify a single war in American history, and I'm including World War II and the Revolutionary War and the Civil War in that. I just do not believe that 18-year-olds should be sent to death. Now, if you're going to tell me that all the people who voted for war, like the 50-year-olds and 40-year-olds in Congress uh, that voted for war should go to the, join the military, I'm all in favor of that. Yeah. Send them to Afghanistan. They can do whatever the heck they want to do. But... You know, when I actually started saying that and writing that, all of the liberal sites, every single one of them banned me. And it was amazing how many military wrote to me and said, you totally speak what we've been saying. So the military themselves, at least the ones who have written to me, have been very much anti-war because they see what's actually going on out there the lack of nation building that we do the 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 20,000 airstrikes we've done in the past four years that have accomplished essentially nothing you know except kill children and mothers and families and so on uh so you know what the definition of a hero is someone who wakes up every single day asking how can i deliver value to the people around me because that value will ripple out to all of the distant shores. And if you are always focused on delivering value and coming at that from a, a place of abundance inside of you, it's guaranteed you're going to be a hero. Yeah, I think that's a good take. Um, you know, the feedback we receive in general is uh, along the same lines with what you've received, which is um, we took a vow of oath to the Constitution, not to politicians. Politicians send us out to all these um you know, phantom wars uh, for their political purposes. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, they, for the most part, they say, look, man, it was uh, definitely not something I thought I was getting into that 
was uh, what I originally signed up for, and if I had to do it all over again, they wouldn't do it. But I'll get into some specific ne- specifics next week on that. You know, I, I just want to mention, the last legally declared war, according to the Constitution, was 1941, World War II. Exactly. Every other military action since then has just been the whims of politicians sending over soldiers for who knows what reason. What did we accomplish on a little island in, in Vietnam? What did we accomplish in Afghanistan? Why are we still there 12 years later? Okay, we're neck deep in there. We finished off an entire world war in three and a half years in the 1940s. Here, thir- 12 or 13 years later, we're still stuck in Afghanistan. And it's just, it's a, it's a shame. It's a shame for the veterans that are coming back that are disfigured or, or mentally harmed. It's a shame for the families that are there that have been destroyed. It just, it makes me cry what's going on over there. Yeah, well, at least we're running uh, budget surpluses and have balanced budgets and uh, are fiscally <laughs> responsible. So at least they're doing that while that all this is going on. Oh, wait. Oh, wait, wait, never mind. I, I said it incorrectly the entire time. Yeah. Um, I always do like that at least. It's my facetious way of just really like hammering it, hammering the point. <laughs> uh, I'd also like to give a shout out to one of our listeners who is unknown as of now. And uh, Porter and I both received... Two identical packages from Amazon, and one of them was uh, titled to or addressed to Porter Stansberry slash Jail School Marm Extraordinaire, and the other was Aaron Brabham, Sidekick and Captain of the Love Boat. So I was like, hmm, this is interesting. They're both identical. We got the same thing. And uh, I brought him into the office, and and I was like, I wonder what this could be. And uh, Mike Sugarud, who recently joined our team, he's Steve Sugarud's brother, and um, he's like, I know what the the long box is, and he goes, that is a grabber. And I was like, I think he's right. And then the little box had a T-Rex in it. So, James, I don't know if you've heard Porter and I hammer people about joining Stansbury Radio Premium. It's $10 a month. And what you get is a black label show, which is Porter and I kind of unleashed beyond where we could be here. But it has a true secret of the show that we never, ever reveal to anybody that's not a premium member. We have the Mastermind Show that's monthly where uh, Porter invites one of his people out of his Rolodex like Van Simmons to talk about how to invest in rare gold coins like the St. Gaudens MS64, MS65, and why that's more valuable than buying bullion. Uh, I know this uh, in next week, I believe next week, we're going to have Justin Ford on, who's going to tell our audience how to become an expert at buying uh, multi-unit uh, properties and turning into, them into uh, cash cows. Uh, we also have Mark Ford on. You'd be great on that as well because, you know, it's about the choose yourself type of thing, how to become yes. entrepreneurial and all that. We also give two financial picks out of our 18 newsletters away. Earlier today, we had uh, Doc Ifrig on that we recorded. Uh, you and I did with him before this show. And I know he gave a great pick out. We're not going to tell our listeners what it is here because they need to get their little T-Rex arms and their grabber out to get their wallet to give $10 a month to get two of those recommendations. And Porter also does a roundtable advisory uh, kind of review for his newsletter where every month he releases his newsletter. You know, he has a team of three analysts that do extensive research, travel all over the world, and then they have kind of a meeting of the minds and invite in an expert on occasion. 
I believe we have Leonardo Malgeri on this time, which is a uh, he's with the Harvard uh, School of Business. He's probably the foremost expert on shale oil throughout the world. And he's going to come on and give us two cents and an update on this next show. And yet people still fight us for the $10, James. It's pretty <laughs> unbelievable. But anyways. Well, I was blown away with Doc's pick. Like the simplicity and the beauty, but the genius of it, I loved it. Yeah, that's great. And you know, look, Doc is a, Doc's a beast, man. This guy launched a newsletter, retirement trader. He also has a retirement millionaire. And he's won 123 for 123 of closed recommendations in his newsletter since inception. And it's all legit. We, um, you know, we release every single pick. We're, we're very clear about it and, uh, you can't argue against it. So it's great. He's looking for like, you know, two to three percent gains per month. But when you compound that over time, James, you know how powerful that is. These aren't like home yeah. runs. These are very, very safe blue chip plays, usually through put selling. And then if he does get put, he does a little covered call strategy on it, exits a trade with a two to four percent. When, how can you ever beat that in a market where you can't find income anywhere? It's just not possible. I agree. So, um, yeah, all that for 10 bucks. So I guess I just beat and kicked the dead horse more. And I, uh, go ahead and send your feedback to feedback at stansberryradio.com. I know some of you out there is threatened. If I say it again, even though you are a premium subscriber, you'll cancel your subscription. But I don't believe you actually will because I believe that you see the full value of this. Uh, James, what's on uh, your agenda this week? I know that every Thursday, I believe at 3 or 3.30, you do a Q&A with Twitter. Tell our audience about that for anybody that's on Twitter. Sure. So uh, on Twitter, I'm Jay Altucher, J-A-L-T-U-C-H-E-R. And every Thursday from 3.30, basically until Twitter cuts me off, like so it's about 4.30 or 5 o'clock, I'll, people can ask me about anything, whether it's economy, finance, startups, marriage, divorce, stress, anxiety, fear, love, dating, whatever. Ask me whatever you want. I answer right there on the spot. Uh, I've done a, a book expanding my answers out, uh, and I'll eventually do another book expanding my answers further. In fact, my last book is included on the bundle with, that you guys are doing with Choose Yourself. It's fact called FAQ Me. me. Yeah. I love the fact me. Yeah, fact me. And uh, so from 3.30 to 4.30, ask me whatever you want. I answer on the spot, uh, and I'm, I usually answer about 200 questions during that hour. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I know you're working on a couple of big reports. I believe you do something with uh, Seeking Alpha and also TechCrunch. And uh, you're also working on another book as well. You're a very, very busy man. Yeah, I, I, I write all day when I'm not doing business, which I do business all day. <laughs> so I do both all day. Yeah, exactly. And so for uh, our listeners out there that haven't picked up your book, go to Stansbury Radio, choose yourself. Dot com. That's StansburyRadioChooseYourself.com. As always, our hotline is open. We will uh, play some voicemails next week. You can reach the hotline 24-7 at 855-SA-RADIO. That's 855-727-2346. 855-727-2346. want to give a special thanks to Glenn Jacobs. And uh, next week, we have another great guest joining us. Porter will be back at the helm. We have Dennis Gartman, the editor of the Gartman Letter. You, have you ever uh, had a chance to meet Dennis Gartman, James? I, I've never met him. I've read his stuff. Very good guy. Yeah, very good guy. He's, he's got a real, uh, real good financial base to him. So I look forward to that. Any uh, parting thoughts for our audience, James? 
Well, I, I look. I hope everybody buys my book, choose yourself, and uh, and then chooses themselves because I think that's where the core of success comes from. Stansberry Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized financial advice for any individual specific situation. Each individual's financial situation is unique and Stansberry Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized advice. Stansberry Radio is not licensed to render personalized advice and should be considered simply the public opinions of Stansberry Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific financial securities are not intended to address any listener's particular financial situation. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.